BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. The Three Down Greencast is brought to you by the Pile of Bones Brewing Company, Regina's only downtown brewery. So, I don't really like to do this, but we have to open the show on a bit of a a somber note as I have to apologize to our single-digit number of listeners as um, it appears that after a week hiatus, John Fraser has in fact returned to the show after what was probably our best and most credible episode ever, thanks to CJME's Ariel Zer for pinch hitting once again. Well, John's back. Well, I'm back to drag the quality and credibility right back down to the sewer. Uh, I do have to admit, if you want a credible broadcast, you should probably fire me and replace me with Ariel because she was amazing as always. One of the best football writers in this country out there. Give her a follow if you aren't already Rider Nation. Yeah, and so I mean, it goes without saying that last week was one of our best episodes uh, statistically as well. I mean, uh, we don't really follow the numbers that closely around here to see how many of you were actually listening for how long, but it certainly was off the charts last week compared to a lot of our other stuff. So thanks to everyone for listening, and um, John, I guess that means uh, you you're probably on notice right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the pink slip is. Uh, in the mail, but uh, thankfully I gave them my mom and dad's address in Northern Ontario when I signed up to do this podcast. Um, so it takes like a week just to get up there, then like another week to get out to me in Saskatoon. So I'm good for at least like, two more weeks. <laughs> and the good news for me is I'm paying you exactly zero dollars, so any severance would be, well, zero dollars. That's that's fair. I haven't picked up my sponsorship beer yet, though, so I should probably make sure I do that ASAP. Yeah, well... 
We'll see. Um, so <laughs> there's 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 a lot to get to this week, as there always is, as the Riders, uh, for a lack of a better term, kind of surprised the world last week when they beat the Hamilton Ticats, when the, the expectation was they were going to lose that game, and there was every indication that they probably, well, even the way the game planned out, they should have. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, John's been chomping at the bit here to... Uh, rant about Jerron Carter and everything that's been going on there since he was a slacker last week and wasn't on the pod, so I will give him a little bit of a chance to do that. And Woo-hoo! since they're on a bye week, we're going to again then kind of just go into what's going on around in the CFL right now a little bit. There's a couple stories, I think, especially we're talking about quarterbacks in this league, the return of Matt Nichols and what he was able to do against BC, but that was BC. And I think more interestingly, what's going on in Toronto, no, not the turf, though we probably should get into that, but the emergence, finally, getting the chance, getting us to prove what he is in James Franklin and how that kind of reignited the Toronto offense last week as well as they uh, took down a pretty good Edmonton team after looking pretty lackluster through their first two games. But as always, as we like to kick off this show, we uh, talk about a little bit of uh, what's in the glass this week, John. Um, uh, water this week. Um, as you alluded to, I was on a week-long hiatus because I was on vacation spending time with family and friends at a cabin in northern Ontario where I had more than uh, my fair share of our sponsor, uh, Pile of Bones' products, along with some great Western products and some whiskey and some rum and some... Well, let's just say I got back home yesterday, and even after dealing with a burst pipe in my kitchen, I still don't really have the taste for alcohol. In fact, Joel, I would say... I am nowhere near championship levels of hydration right now. So uh, for the first and only time in this podcast history, until I go on holidays next summer, I am currently consuming water. Saskatoon tap water. Needless to say, that's, uh, this is, the situation is not helping your status on the notice list. <laughs> because clearly you do not have the liver and the drinking capabilities of a true sports analyst. Because most of us would just continue on and it's fine. I I had a beer. We were at a restaurant and I had a pint of actually Nokomis. I had a pint of that for along with my chicken wings. And even that, I'm like, this is a tasty beer. But my liver is just going, no, no more, please. So at this moment, I am drinking water. So picking up the slack for John this week will be me. I guess that means maybe I have to have two beers during this podcast. Um. <laughs> I think so. Make it happen. <laughs> it could happen, but probably not. It would be kind of weird to take my headphones up, get up, walk to the fridge, and come back because I was fully anticipating that John would be doing what he normally does in terms of at least the beer consumption. Um, so right. for me, I am sticking with our sponsors this week. Uh, thanks again to Pile of Bones. I'm drinking their Red Ale, because, you know, it's kind of a dark and stormy night here on Tuesday night here in Regina. I don't really know what it's like up in Saskatoon, but... uh, Very similar. It was so humid today that I am glad that there's some kind of storm tonight, because I could not stand to be outside for about 10 seconds earlier today. It was so disgusting. (laughs) Anyway, so I'm like, yeah, it's kind of dark and stormy. It feels like a a Red Ale kind of night. If you haven't had the Pile of Bones Red Ale, it has all the nice flavors you expect from a good red. It's got those toasted caramel, all that. But they throw a little more hops than usual, so it's got a little bit more of a, a hoppy Ooh. bite to it, which is nice. Looking forward to trying that. Absolutely. And uh, so we're looking forward now to what the Riders did last week. I guess we're looking back at what the Riders did last week, but anyway. And then looking all the, all the way forward to when football returns, 
next week, but until then, we got to do some of that whole waiting thing because, you know, bye weeks and stuff. Yeah, so the Riders are on a bye week. We won't really get too much into next week's game until next week because, well, then we won't really have a whole lot to talk about next week. <laughs> it's true. So if you missed it, the Riders, they beat the Hamilton Ticats. It came down to a last a second touchdown from Marcus Thigpen, about a buck 30 to go in the game. He was able to bounce one out, and uh, I was field level at that point, and I could tell you that Mosaic Stadium was just going bananas because, frankly, they didn't really have a whole lot of business winning that football game. They weren't very good, no. especially offensively for, I guess, 90% of the night until that final drive. And we'll get into the offense a little bit. Um, because uh, it's, it's still a talking point of this province, and it will remain so until it's fixed. But we're gonna just, we're gonna open with the positive here, and that is 100% the play of that defense in that game. Because it's one thing for them to keep Montreal kind of out of the end zone for the most part the week before, and it's mm-hmm. other teams that they played. But you know, Toronto they had their struggles earlier, and but this this was a true test to see where this defense was at, considering. This was the Hamilton Ticats. This is a team that had come in rolling. They'd won a couple of games in a row. Their offense has looked fabulous in every single game. You know, Jeremiah Mazzoli was starting to silence the doubters, including myself. So if there was ever a time for the defense to step up and truly take care of a game for this team, this was the week to do it. And there is absolutely no question that they did it. Yeah, they are the only reason the Riders won this football game, which is funny. I can tell the defense is playing a good game when when the casual football observers in my family, uh, such as my mother-in-law, looks at the TV and goes, this is such a boring game. No, it's close. (laughs) It's tight. There's lots of great plays being made on defense. I'm sorry there's no circus catches being made every single possession, but if the Riders are going to win football games, the defense needs to play maybe not quite at that level every single week, but at least close to that level. They are what we finally expected them to be, and man, that Hamilton offense was looking unbelievable in the past, the previous few weeks. Again, it's still early. Everybody's still kind of figuring each other out, but Hamilton was looking like a real contender in the East, and the Riders did everything they could to, to silence it, which was a good, a good and positive sign for maybe, you know, turning things around from the absolute low point that was that Montreal loss. Yeah, and Ariel and I talked about this the week before about the defense. I mean, it's not a secret that the defense is going to have to win them that football game based on the state of the offense, but it was how they were going to do it. And we talked about how they probably... They needed, they needed to get a lot of pressure on Jeremiah Mazzoli. Now, that's easier said than done because he has the ability to take off and he's got a lot of guys with a lot of speed who they can easily dump off to. But they it seems like they... They, they got to him, they got in his kitchen, and they rattled him around because we've seen it in every level of football. When a quarterback is playing at his absolute best, the 100% best way to beat them is to get in his kitchen. It's the only yep. way you can beat Tom Brady in the NFL. We've seen it time and time again. If you can get in Tom Brady's kitchen, you have a chance to beat the New England Patriots. Now, I'm not yep. saying that Jeremiah Mazzoli is Tom Brady, but the theory still applies. And To Chris Jones' credit, he actually adopted his game plan a little bit defensively compared to what he likes to do to make it happen. And Ariel, you know, I kind of hyperbolized on the podcast last week saying that they needed to blitz about 75% of the time to, to, to make this, to win this football game. Now, that's a little higher than it needs to be, obviously, because there's, you know, there's only potentially two downs in a play. You're not going to blitz if it's second and 20. So, yeah. (laughs) So there's, there's always, there's always exceptions to that, but, 
Derek Taylor from TSN, basically the new stats guru in this league, since this league doesn't like to do things like stat, like quarterback pressures anymore or anything like that, came <laughs> out and he had the tweet after the game about with the rider breakdown, a number of blitzes through their first four games. So against Toronto, it was 7%, mm-hmm. which uh, is an absurdly low number, but it's week one. You don't want to show a whole lot. And you know what? They won that game. You can't complain. Week two, Especially against a non-division opponent. Yeah, no one exactly. makes sense. Yeah, week two against Ottawa was 21%. A little better, but uh, that seemed seemingly a little high considering how porous the defensive line played in that game. Yeah. Week three against Montreal was 31%. Last week against Hamilton, a whopping 51% of the time, they sent at least five guys or more, which tells me that Chris wow. Jones saw the same thing and said, yeah, we can't give Jeremiah Mazzoli time. I like to get pressure with four. But I can't guarantee that every week, so I'm sending guys on top of that. Your hyperbole almost proved to be true there, Joel. You know, you said the 51 is actually respectably close to 75. <laughs> uh, and it, it's starting to show, I think you're right, that Chris Jones, he seems, especially with this whole Deron Carter experiment, which we'll get into later, mm-hmm. he seems to be notoriously stubborn. He's sticking to his two-quarterback rotation, and he's sticking to this, and he's sticking to that. And one thing he's always stuck with is just getting pressure based on good defensive line playing, good defensive scheming. But maybe he's noticing something that the rest of us are. Maybe he's seeing something on film that he's going, okay, we got to start sending these guys. We've got to start blitzing more to make the defense work this year with the personnel that we have, notably a bit of a weak linebacking core. Mm-hmm. You might be hiding it a little bit there if you're, you know, all of a sudden the quarterback is making real quick decisions because one of those linebackers is coming at you at 100 miles an hour. So I'm going to be interested to see if that number stays around that 50, you know, 40 to 50 percent for the rest of the season, because obviously it, it had a tremendous amount of success for the riders against, again, that that really good Hamilton offense. Yeah, I think you're going to have to take it by a case by case basis and see how. The rest of the team is playing. Obviously, right now, Chris Jones is also dialed back Charleston Hughes a little bit, which is going to affect the amount of blitzing you do. If you have, if you give, if you take Charleston Hughes off his pitch count and play him basically every down, you may be less inclined to blitz because he's essentially a blitz in himself, or he's at least taking on two guys, and that frees up Zach Evans or Willie Jefferson or Mika Johnson yeah. or someone else along the line. So it will be a case-by-case basis. It will be an interesting test. The fact that their next game is against Hamilton in Hamilton, so it's a direct comparison. We get to compare apples to apples in terms of how they approach things defensively in that game. And I think one of the really key things the Riders did defensively in that game outside of making sure they made life uncomfortable for Jeremiah Mazzoli was, and Chris Jones admitted it after the game, that they got caught off guard a little bit by how much Hamilton ran the ball early. Because it, it looked it very lo- looked very much early on, and I, I said it in the press box. I was like, "Oh boy, they've been watching the film against Ottawa, and they're just going to run the ball down their throats all night." Because yeah. that, that's what it looked like in the first half of that first quarter. But to Chris Jones's credit, the defense they didn't see it coming this time around. Unlike against Ottawa, they were able to adapt. And after that, Hamilton's run game was good, but it wasn't nearly as effective as it was considering the week before Hamilton ran the ball down Winnipeg's throat as well. Yeah, absolutely, they did. It's again, this this team is starting to show a lot of uh, adaptability, which I, I don't think was really there, especially in the Montreal game and the Ottawa game. I mean, the Ottawa game, we could all see it coming from a mile away that they couldn't stop the run, and it doesn't seem like they could do anything to stop it. But now they came out, they got surprised by something they weren't expecting to see. They were able to adapt to that. So, 
again, you mentioned apples to apples. Let's see what Hamilton brings out in their next game and how the Riders adapt to that as well because it's starting to be a bit of a test for this team to see, you know, okay. I think teams are starting to figure out you could kind of run the same thing against these guys and they weren't really shifting things around or shifting schemes around. So it's going to be interesting to see against Hamilton what, you know, Hamilton does to react and then what subsequently Saskatchewan has to do to react because, you know, the same thing's not going to happen two games in a row. You, would, you wouldn't think so anyway, but, I mean, stranger things have happened in the CFL. And speaking of adapting, and this was an interesting adaption that Chris Jones made on defense this week, and that was involving everyone's favorite player to talk about in Jerron Carter. And we Ariel mentioned it on the podcast last week. She was seeing signs of it in practice early. A few other people were. It didn't really catch the national attention because a lot of national reporters seemed to be surprised that Jerron Carter was moving around the field following Terrence Tolliver when all of us in Saskatchewan kind of had the feel that that was going to happen. Maybe not you, because you were out in the middle of nowhere. I don't know how closely you were following along, but... I didn't even have... I couldn't even text anybody. I didn't even... I didn't even have an inkling of cell service where I was. Yeah, and I mean, that's fair. So, I'm like, I'm for once, I'm actually not making fun of you for something. <laughs> I had an excuse. <laughs> I gave you a free pass. There's your one free pass this season. Um, <laughs> But no, and so we can, we'll get into the merits still about Deron Carter playing defensive back. But if you have to play him at defensive back, which right now Chris Jones feels he has to, that was probably the change that had to be made to make it happen because they actually put Carter in a position to succeed. Now, in the CFL, it's very different to see a defensive back match up against a receiver throughout the course of an entire game. Usually you see that kind of thing in the NFL, but it's usually a defense wants their best lockdown DB on the other team's best receiver most of the times. Occasionally coaches will try to work a receiver on DB matchup, but more often than not, you want that lockdown DB on the best receiver. In a sense, the Riders did that because they had Ed Ganey on Brandon Banks for most of the night. And while he picked up his yards, was relatively ineffective. So Ed Ganey deserves a ton of credit for being able to put up with that yes. speed basically all night. But Deron Carter wasn't bad. He wasn't a game changer. Uh, there was one play where he made a nice play. But Jeremiah Mazzoli, if he had an extra yard or two on it, Tolliver might have been able to make the catch in the end zone. Um so it, it worked, is basically what it came down to. Chris Jones is willing to admit to a degree that what he was doing with Jerron Carter wasn't working, and it was time to switch it up and make sure that he was in a position to win by going up against a guy that he felt was a better matchup for Carter than, of course, what Hamilton would have gone for was they probably would have placed Brandon Banks on Carter on that cornerback spot the whole game and just do what Chris Williams did to them the week before. Now, now here's... Here's the thing with Deron Carter right now. And I I, yeah. <laughs> I was going to, if I was around, I was going to say it last week. He needs to shut up and play offense. And I mean this in, in more ways than one. Uh, for one, congratulations. You made the Riders adjust their entire defensive scheme to hide the fact that you are an average defensive back. Now, that's fine. That's that's impressive. You can be a great wide receiver, but at best, you are an average defensive back. The thing, and normally I'm very vocal for defending Deron Carter. I like his personality. I like his interaction on social media. Man, I'm a fat podcaster. I'm not even good at podcasting. I'm not good True. at reporting. I'm the first one to admit that. 
to continue running your mouth on social media like you are God's gift to defensive backs. Like you are the second coming of, of the greatest DBs that have ever played this sport. Man, you need to admit you're average at it. Just average. Again, impressive that you're average. Go back to playing offense. What Deron Carter needs to do, what Chris Jones needs to do, they need to take this extra week to pull their heads strictly out of their asses about this experiment of him playing defensive back, and it needs to end if the Riders want to continue succeeding this season. Go out. You just signed You signed a defensive back. Go and sign all the defensive backs. Stash them on your practice roster. I'm sure if you go out and sign three or four guys, you can stash... Some ex-NFL guy, some ex-U sports guy, some ex-NCAA guy on the third most targeted receiver for any team in the CFL and at least get the equivalent performance out of Ron Carter and let your playmaker go back to playing offense. Deron, you might be the best offensive player in the league. You're not a very good defender. So shut up. Stop running your mouth. Stop calling guys out on it. Put your head down. You've taken your lumps. Go back to being what you are. You feel better now? You've been waiting a long time to speak on this. Oh, I feel so much better. I almost need a drink now. <laughs> unlike I I, I unlike last time you were on this podcast, I actually let you go on like, your parking ticket where I cut you off like 10 seconds in. That, that's fair. That actually made me laugh quite, quite comically, though. I'm like, oh, I wonder how much of this Joel let go. So, so that whole thing stayed in. It stays in, though, right? Oh yeah, I mean, I, that'll be way too much editing at this point. We still got another at least ten minutes to go in this podcast. So, <laughs> I kind of like just to edit the start and edit the end, and then just post it. So, <laughs> boom, boom, done. Yeah, and I mean, I don't disagree with what you said. No, I, I, I honestly think deep down inside, Jaron Carter probably wants to play offense instead of defense because the glory, everything that he likes, is there. More so, you get a lot more press and attention and love for making a yeah. circus catch and scoring touchdowns than being in tight coverage and not being thrown at all night. Just ask Terrell Mays in his prime when he was here with Saskatchewan. The guy probably should have been the Riders' Defensive Player of the Year nominee a couple of times and barely even got a lick of a vote because, well, the ball is basically never thrown at him. So It's true. So, I mean, that happens. Um, and I think what we saw from the riders in that game and what the Jerron Carter situation has evolved into is okay. Yes. As you said, he can be an average defensive back, which is fine. As you also said, you can find average defensive backs. I mean, the Eskimos signed a guy last week and played him right away. So, I mean, it's not impossible, but either way, this is what's happening. And what's the, the bigger problem for them right now is that not that Jerron Carter's hurt them on defense last week is just, he still is clearly badly missed on offense as they, yes. they they have two quarterbacks, and we'll get into that rotation in a second, but they have two quarterbacks who have accuracy issues, we shall say. And yes. what helps a receiver, what helps a quarterback who has accuracy issues? A guy who can catch anything within about, about a five-mile radius of his hands. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And that, that, I think, would be the tonic the rider offense needs. And then it allows... You know, naming Roosevelt to maybe see the team's second best defensive play. You're starting to get some better. This makes you think about someone else because right now it's okay. It's we'll just we'll have our best guy. We'll have a we'll put a guy on Naaman Roosevelt and we'll make sure that the safety help is over top on Naaman Roosevelt and force someone else to beat us. And 
frankly, no one else other than like the odd play from Shaq Evans and Joshua Stanford made. So, you know, a couple nice plays in two weeks from two receivers, but really that's about it. None of the other guys have stepped up and been able to provide that support for, for Naaman Roosevelt. Absolutely. 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 So, and so then maybe if they if a receiver is able to have a guy that he knows that he can throw to in a pressure situation that will make the catch basically 100% of the time, as in Jerron Carter, maybe we don't have this ridiculous rotation of quarterbacks like we saw against Ugh. Hamilton where seemingly every two drives it was changing. And you got the you got the vibe from Brandon Bridge after the game that he wasn't really a fan of it. He's not going to come out and, you know, submarine the coach for it or anything like that, but uh, I'm sure David Watford probably felt the same. It's just, I, I just don't understand it. I don't see how you can get into any sort of rhythm in that situation. It'd be like if a starting, if, if the rules of baseball allowed you to rotate pitchers in and out, it'd be like the Jays starting Jay Happ and realizing he doesn't have it. So then they bring in Marco Estrada and they go back to Jay Happ and it would just be, neither guy would be happy. It just, it just wouldn't make any sense. Well, well a be- I think a better comparable, Joel, is uh, look at hockey. I mean, you can freely switch your two goaltenders at any time, and yet teams don't do that. Well, either it, guy, not since Mike either, Keenan left the NHL. No, f- fair enough. I mean, Keenan was also a goalie murderer, <laughs> and that was the exception, not the rule. But it doesn't make any sense. To me, it made sense last year when you yeah. had Kevin Glenn and Brandon Bridge because the skill sets were so wildly different, or different, I should say, that you could tell... After a couple of drives, it's like, okay, is the, is the defensive scheme that they've been working on in practice primarily based on Kevin Gleiner, Brandon Bridge, and generally you could bring in the other guy and he'd have some success. Maybe they'd adapt and they'd bring in the other guy and just keep, you know, you'd kind of keep people on their toes. Now, Watford and Bridge are both just young, inexperienced, having accuracy issues, as you mentioned, with, with their best receiver playing defensive back right now and it's not helping anything I, I i would say as you mentioned teams can basically say yeah okay here's the safety help over roosevelt and away they go so i think with young guys you gotta you gotta live by him you gotta die by him you gotta let them figure it out for for a game let them know okay you're going to be the guy pending injury or terrible 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 ineffectiveness i mean it's just this this quarterback rotation i mean it won him a game against Hamilton, but I don't think they bring such different skill sets to the table that it's a that it's a good idea or an idea that is going to, you know, here's hoping Zach Caleros gets back soon because this could really torpedo the season, I think, if it keeps going on. Yeah, I, we've talked about this ad nauseum that they are essentially the same quarterback. Brandon Bridge has a little more experience, so he has that working in his favor. And it, uh, based on what Chris Jones said after the game, it, it didn't really sound like he was going to change his thinking on this that he was going there they said they're going to keep grinding away at it until they figure it out and I, I could see making a switch of say okay it's been let's say you started Brandon Bridge for three games and for three straight games he's struggling so halfway through the fourth game it's like okay it's not working let's throw in David Watford and see what happens sure you, you I have you absolutely basically... I have absolutely no problem with that but to yes. do it so often and like the first the, fir- the first game against Montreal, they made the switch at half. That's one thing. But to be making yep. the change every, on average, say every three drives, I don't know the exact number, but it's just insane. There's no other way, it, to, it, there's no other way to put it. It absolutely is. And you brought up the basically the exact situation that the BC Lions are going through right now. I mean, 
I get it, it, it's complicated slightly by Travis Lule's injury, but they've got Jonathan Jennings, who is starting to look more and more like a one-year guy mm-hmm. every single week. But there's a guy, he's young, the godfather of coaching the CFL, Wally Buono, has basically given him the early season, he has struggled, and now they're looking at making the switch. That's what you have to do. I, I get it, the plan was never to have Brandon Bridge as your starting quarterback the minute that they you know, obtain Zach Caleros. And but given, given Caleros' history, it was bound to happen for a stretch at some point. I think that's fair to say. And yeah. so when that happened, you had to be prepared and you have to be, say, okay, this guy's a young quarterback. We have to be patient with him. And this is not happening. Yeah, yeah no, you're, abs- you're absolutely right there again, Joel. You nailed it. That uh, They got it. I think you're just – and at what point – does Bridge, and again, his value would be low right now, does Bridge, who's getting bounced around, or Watford, who's getting bounced around in all of this, you know, say the infamous slap shot line, you know, pick up the phone, trade me right effing now, and hang up. Like, that's got to be happening. None, neither of these guys can be happy with this situation at all. I mean, figure out in practice which one of your guys is going to be the guy and go from there. Yeah, I, that's the best course of action. We'll, we'll have to just have to wait and see what goes on with that going forward. So, as we said, the Riders are on their bye week this week, so we're going to kind of skip our little look at the next game, as that will probably be the bulk of our show next week. We'll talk about the next game and kind of the big picture of where they're at in terms of the season at this point. So, let's shift our focus a little bit to kind of what's going on in the CFL this week. And I think from last week, the, the biggest story is quarterbacking which, I mean, I know, breaking news, quarterback's big story <laughs> in football, but it, there is two interesting storylines that happened last week in the CFL, and we'll start with your team, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and I, it seems like we talk about them every week because they, not just because you follow them quite closely, but because they yes. tend to be the story every week for the most part, and it was the return of Matt Nichols, and Ariel and I talked about this last week about how the fact that this could be a shift, a paradigm shift in the West in terms of how things could play out because all of a sudden the Bombers go from, they were pretty good under Strebler, but Matt yep. Nichols takes that to the next level. And I think outside of maybe Calgary makes them, as long as Richie Hall can keep that defense playing like they did against BC, that puts them to me, in my opinion, in that stratosphere. And we saw that the way they played, the way Matt Nichols played against BC after missing the first part of the season, he didn't look rusty at all. No, he didn't. He stepped right in, and he looked like a veteran quarterback should look. The other thing, too, that now with the Bombers' discovery of Chris Trebler, you notice what they did. They were doing a lot of stuff like they'd bring him in on a second and one and have him line up like he's going to plunge forward. He'd chuck a pass. At the goal line, they were there bringing Strebler just to, mm-hmm. you know, even if it's just a, a snap and, and run it and, and try to get the rushing touchdown. I think teams now, when he's out there, have to respect his ability to actually complete passes here in the CFL from what we saw from him in the early season. And it just, again, I was talking about, we were talking about quarterback rotations that aren't working. I don't, I don't think Winnipeg will never have a full rotation. Matt no. Nichols is their guy. Matt yeah. Nichols has proven to be a solid, dependable, you know, top four starter in the CFL right now. But that little bit of Strevler's magic from earlier on is enough to just keep teams off balance. You saw it a couple times against BC in that game. And you know what? They, with Matt Nichols back earlier than anticipated, you know, all they needed to be was a game or two within 500 when Nichols came on back. 
and that's what they were. And now it'll be interesting to see if this can be the first season since 1990 that they might actually win the Grey Cup. Or at the very least win a playoff game. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's start. Let's start small. Start smart. Right. Let's start small. But what I really liked about Chris Drebler, especially from that game, is so he had been the starter for a few weeks, and obviously Matt Nichols comes back, so he gets demoted in a sense. But they brought him in on short yardage, as you said, and then on, and then he stayed out for first down the next play. And I think he might have gotten a first down on that one as well. I don't quite remember. So he had like two kind of mundane plays that didn't really affect the scoreboard at the end of the day. They were good. They're effective. And he just came off the field pumped up like he just scored a touchdown drive. And I was like, you know what? This guy is really happy to still be contributing this team, even if yeah. it's still in a small way. And it, it seems like everyone on that team loves him too, which is great. And well, so, well, I mean, the guy came straight out of college to the pros, and all of a sudden he's having an impact. I mean, yeah, I'd be on cloud nine as well. Yeah, and so the other interesting quarterback development this week came in Toronto, where after seemingly years of talk as being the next guy, James Franklin finally got his shot to really take the reins of a team for well the rest of this year, probably and maybe beyond, depending on Ricky Ray decides to do. And so the questions began. This is the chance. This, like Brandon Bridge, even though it's a longer-term scenario now for James Franklin, is what was this going to mean for James Franklin? This is his time. It's time to put up or shut up. And sure, they only scored 20 points, but Edmonton only scored 17. So I think in Game 1 of the James Franklin era in Toronto, he definitely put up. Yes, certainly. And we've been kind of waiting for him to emerge from the shadow of Mike Riley and and, and put up for years. It's glad to see that he's finally doing it. Hate to see the reason why he's been given a chance. I mean, that's mm-hmm. clear. You don't want to see Ricky Ray go down, as, as you and I talked about a couple weeks ago. But it, you're looking at a guy that all the talk was, you know, he's going to Saskatchewan, he's going to Saskatchewan, he's going to Saskatchewan. And I think Ryder fans, as the season progresses, are going to hate the fact that he's not in Saskatchewan. I, I think against that Edmonton team to hang 20 points. And I don't know that the Bombers, you know, they, they were able to put some points up as well. But to me, if you're able to win a game against Edmonton, who you and I agree is probably the best team in the league, you, you got to get some credit for that. That was that was damn impressive from James Franklin. And I think it's the start of a, what's going to be a very good rest of the season for him. Yeah, and he certainly got us a lot of support from James Wilder Jr., who finally had his breakout game this season after all the talk about him possibly going a thousand, a thousand, and you know he was kind of quiet through. Well, two remember, weeks. Joel, you you and I were in the a thousand, a thousand discussion to start this year. We <laughs> even they had everybody's names on those boards, including the two of us. Oh, maybe a thousand, thousand in terms of like beers, beers and chicken wings. Consumed. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.